And Matthew 13, verse number 33, uh, the Bible says, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All right, let's pray. Father God, help me tell the truth doctrinally from your word. We pray that we're able to rightly divide your word. Help us all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this parable of the leaven, it's important to say from the onset, this is not the expansion of the church. This is not Christianity spreading until everyone is saved. That's a very common teaching when people get to Matthew chapter 13. Um, it is not the proclaiming of the gospel that will lead to the conversion of the entire world. What we are talking about in this parable is the condition of the kingdom of heaven during the church age, because we are in between weeks, the 69th week and the 70th week uh, of, of prophetic fulfillment. The 70th hasn't happened yet. And typically with this parable of the leaven, it is taught that, well, small things can have a positive impact. And so when the kingdom of heaven is faithfully practiced in the lives of believers, it can have a positive impact on the world. And so the life of Christ within believers is the spiritual leavening in the world. Now, that's the common teaching. However, the leaven does not represent the gospel. And we're going to go through that this morning, see if we can get some understanding. I'm going to give you three reasons why. Uh, and let's see if we can get some help. Number one, if this leaven was the gospel then the gospel is a failure. Now, we know that the gospel is not a failure, but the parable of the sower, um, <laughs> we know that the gospel is not going to lead to worldwide conversion because the whole world isn't going to be saved. Does that what God, God wills and wants those that are lost to come to him? We want the lost to come to him. But the bottom line is, you and I both know that is not going to happen. In the parable of the sower, you only had one in four. That was the result. You sow seed, one in four. And then even with that, you have a decreasing in fruit. One hundredfold drops to sixtyfold, sixtyfold drops to thirtyfold. Now, if this parable is supposed to be some type of moral leavening that believers have within, and it's going to convert the whole world somehow. It, it, it doesn't match. It doesn't fit the context of the other parables. Uh, even the parable of the weakness the tares. There's not going to be a worldwide expansion. Why? Because the parable of the weakness the tares, well, the tares in the church, tares in the church. No, the tares aren't in the church. The tares are in the world. Remember, we talked about that. We talked about the parable of the weakness the tares. Why can't the tares be considered unbelievers in the church because in the parable of the wheat and tares jesus told them hey you leave that alone you don't try to pick the tares out and he told him he said look when i come back i'm going to do that now why can't it be the church because we're not told to leave sin alone in the in the church in the body of Christ, we are to deal with that. There's passages about church discipline. So we have a contrast in the parable of the wheat and the tares between the world and the church. World, you leave it alone. You're not going to pull out all the sin in the world. 
But as you sow seed out in the world, and as I sow seed out in the world, guess who else is sowing seed out in that world? Satan himself. And the world is oversown with tares. You just leave it alone, and God's going to deal with it when he comes back. So I said all that to say, when you get to parable 11, it's not the moral leveting of the expansion of the gospel where you'll have a worldwide conversion. That's not it at all. And then we finally, uh, we came to the parable of the mustard seed. And we talked about it's not the church providing refuge for the world. That tree, that mustard seed, when it springs up, it represents a kingdom. It represents a kingdom that has a deep-rooted system with all the humanitarian teachings of Jesus, except the gospel isn't being named. In other words, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus is compassionate. Jesus would feed the poor. Jesus would do a lot of these social things and would be for a lot of these social things that are going on, except he wouldn't be for them at the expense of the preaching of the gospel. That's the clear command that we are giving. And so we have lodging in the branches thereof, the teachings of Jesus, which even a Buddhist would embrace. <laughs> yes, Jesus was a good, a good teacher, except we're not calling him deity and we're not, we're not trusting in him as the one and only savior. And so that claim, that exclusive claim as him as savior is left out. Now, for over 2,000 years, I can't name one village or one town or one city or one state that has been completely converted to Jesus Christ. Have you? Why do you think we try to speak to and get to know different missionaries? And they're bringing it all over. Yes, even missionaries to the southern states <laughs> need to hear what? The saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the reason why these parables in Matthew 13 are taught incorrectly is because people have an incorrect view of the end times. This is where dominion theology comes in, whereas we are going to convert the whole world to Christianity, and then somehow that, our effort of doing that is going to now usher in Christ. And that's, well, we'll get back to that thought in a minute, but that is not uh, that would not be biblical in in my estimation. So, number one, that, that was the first reason why leaven is not the gospel. The second reason is, because some say, well, there's no evidence in the context or in the passage that leaven here is an evil uh, or, or, or wicked, has a wicked connotation of, of corruption. And some would say that if you take leaven as representing evil, that permeates the kingdom. They say you're twisting the meaning of the passage. And I don't believe that's true. And the reason why I don't believe it's true is the second point is. When you look at this parable. And let's go back to it again in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took. And hid. And let me ask you a question. Do we hide the gospel? Or is the gospel already hid to them that are lost? This leaven in this parable is not the gospel. It's not a spiritual leavening within believers that's going to convert the whole world. Because we don't hide the gospel. It is already hid to them that are lost. We make it known. We shine that light upon believers. 
also, when you put leaven in the meal, that's all you do, ladies. You just leave it alone and then it takes care of itself. The gospel does not work like that. How many of you would share the gospel with somebody and it seems like it's had no effect on their life? <laughs> it's not like you share the gospel and you let it sit there and then all of a sudden it's going to. No, it's not the way it happens. Because if it did, you'd have every soul that has ever heard the gospel being saved. So what do we have to continually do? Whether we're at the air fair on Saturday, whether we're down at tech on Saturday night, what do we have to continually do? Contend for the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. If uh, Another point is, uh, I, I feel appropriate to, to make is, whatever leavening agent that you use when baking, ladies, you put that leavening agent in there, baking soda, baking powder, yeast, and there's a there's air trappings or however that works and, and and it makes your breads and it makes your cakes and pastries light and fluffy. In other words, it puffs it up. That's what leaven does. It it makes it puffy, it puffs it it up. We're not called to be puffed up. This is not trying to con it's it's not trying to connect the dots with Christians having some type of moral leavening agent. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Bible talks about not one of you to be puffed up. At verse uh, number 19, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And there's a contrast there between the kingdom of God. That's a, an inward kingdom where there's some power. And that's what we tap into. This kingdom of heaven parable, this is the condition now of this physical world. This while, while Christ is gone, what's the condition? And so he's speaking to them in parables. He's talking to them about this parable 11. When you finally get to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that's the charity chapter. And charity is not what? Puffed up. That's that special love between brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible calls it charity. All right, reason number three. Go to Genesis 19. Genesis chapter 19. We would contradict every use of the word leaven in the Bible if we tried to use it as a spiritual, moral leavening agent in Matthew 13. Uh, uh, it, 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 we all know, every one of us know our Bibles well enough to know that the book of Matthew clearly has a Jewish connotation to it if you're a jew guess what book you know real well <laughs> the books of the old testament that would be a given and the first time that leaven is mentioned look at lot chapter number 19 that's a negative uh, connotation just mentioning mentioning that chapter uh 
Lot did bake unleavened bread. <laughs> you see that in verse number three? And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread as they did eat. You can bet that you had a lot of leaven <laughs> inside them. There was a lot of it. Now, the whole context of what's going on in Sodom, it's complete wickedness. And sure, you're going to make an unleavened bake to speed up the process, right? That happens quicker. But we see the context when it's first mentioned is negative. In Exodus chapter number 12, let's go there. What do, you, what do we have in verse number 15? Exodus 12, verse number 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Look at verse 19. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. Whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether it be a stranger or born in the land. Look at verse 20. You shall eat nothing leavened. What happens in Genesis 19 going back to Lot? They make a quick departure, don't they? Get out of Sodom. Exodus chapter 12. Let's read a few more verses. Uh, and then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel. Now, I try to come across these archaic words and, and address them. They're really not archaic at all. If you were to go down to the Lowe's or the Home Depot or the Ace Hardware, you can get yourself a lintel. <laughs> you can get a wood lintel. You can get a steel lintel. You can get a concrete lintel. Now, does anybody write to Lowe's and say, hey, we need to get rid of that? That's an archaic word. No, they don't. They don't try to change that. But for some reason, when people get to the Bible, they feel like they need to change it. That's what the NIV does and the NLT does. They say they, they change that word to, uh, to top. As if you couldn't figure out what the lintel was by reading the context of the passage. And, well, how do you figure that out? Well, we keep reading. And the two side posts. So if it's not, the two, if it's not one of the two side posts, what's left? That'd be the lintel. And a uh, side post with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Let's keep reading. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, 
It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. The children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass that at the midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of the Egypt, the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one death. It's a scary scene, isn't it? Let's keep reading. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel and go serve the Lord, as you have said. Also, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading trowels being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels and silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So that lent unto them such things as they required as they spoiled the Egyptians. We read a lot of verses to just bring into our mind by way of remembrance that Egypt is a type of what? The world. Egypt is a type of leaven. Leaven is corruption. And anytime you see leaven coming up in the Bible, it always has a negative connotation. When the Israel, when those Jews were set free by the blood, what did they immediately do? Arise and go. Get out of Egypt. Get out of the world. You don't stick around. Something's wicked that's going on in Sodom. What do you do? You get out of there. What do you and I do as born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? We were in the world. We were of the world. It's sin. It's corrupt. It's leavening. It's full of tears. Hey, we trust Christ and we leave that world. We don't hang around to see what's going on. We don't hang around and keep fellowshipping with the same old crowd, doing the same old things. No, now we have a new fight and we get out of there. We get out of Sodom. We get out of, um, we get out of Egypt. And for us to make that connection spiritually, we're out of the world and we're in Christ. We're a new creature. And so that's the idea. Um, old Testament 11, it was forbidden. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Exodus 34. There was no leaven in the blood sacrifice. Leviticus 2. No meat offering which ye shall bring on the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven or any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. In the offerings by fire no leaven was allowed. In the New Testament leaven is warned against. Luke 12. 1 says beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Which is hypocrisy. Now with all that said. Why would the Lord. Take those disciples. And now try to confuse them. On all of the other defining. Contexts. 
if you will, of the word leaven. I don't believe he would. I don't believe he would. That leaven in Matthew 13 is still a corrupt agent. First Corinthians 5, we all know that a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. And as you're unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. You don't purge out the good, do you? You purge out the corrupt, the bad, the evil. Go to Galatians 5. Let's take a look at another passage. Galatians 5. And we'll get verse number 7. Galatians 5, verse number 7. It's a good, good, good verse here. Ye did run well. We're going to look at the context 11. Who, who did hinder you? There's a question there. Who is it that's hindering you? And then it says that ye should not obey the truth. Uh, verse number 8. This persuasion... Verse number seven, somebody's hindering you. Who is that somebody? Verse number eight, there's some persuasion. Who's the persuasion? Cometh not of him that calleth you. Well, that would mean not of him that calleth you. Did the Lord Jesus Christ call you? Or are we, of him, are we bought with his price? Well, don't come from him. Where does it come from? Verse nine, a little leaven. Leaven it, the whole lump. What is this persuasion? What is what is hindering you? What is this corruption called? Leaven. Not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Now, I'll return to this thought. <clears throat> There's a such thing called Christian Reconstructionism, made famous by Greg Banson and Gary North. Gary, I believe, passed away this year. Both of those men believe in this reconstruction theology or this dominion theology that says what we said earlier. It's the Christian's job to take over all areas of life, politics, because we want to have a worldwide conversion to usher in Jesus Christ. Now, that's dominion theology. That's Christian reconstructionism. Uh, and it's wrong. <laughs> it's not right. It's not biblical. And this leaven, this mustard seed parable that we looked at before is an external view. All of these social gospels, humanitarian gospels, all lodging in the branches thereof. We can, we can see that externally. Go down to a food bank and they're going to be saying they're doing the work of Jesus. True. I mean, Jesus would do that, right? <laughs> Except you can't do what Jesus would do. By also not doing the other thing that Jesus clearly told us to do. <laughs> Does that make sense? What does this leaven give us? It gives us an internal view. It gives us an internal view. We've got a good meal, and now that meal is being destroyed. All right, so I think those three reasons very clearly can give us an understanding of why leaven is not the conversion of this world 
as a spiritually good leavening agent. So I hope we get that. Number two, there's something else in Matthew 13. Let's go there. <clears throat> there's a woman. And the woman does not represent the church. For one reason, uh, she took and hid. We already talked about that. The gospel is to be received. Uh, but as many as received him, then gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them believe on his name. So the gospel is to be received. This woman took and hid. So that's reason number one. Um, yeah, let's go there. Let's go to Matthew 10. We've got time. Matthew 10, 26. Matthew 10, look at verse number 26. The Bible says, for them, not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Someone tells you the gospel Privately, you're not to keep it hid. You're to go out into the housetops. You're to go out into the hedges and the highways and compel them to come. You come out of the darkness and into the light. You know what the modern message is today? We'll just keep it in the church. Aren't people fine with coming to church on Sunday? Most people are. What most people are not okay with is Going out on the housetop, going out into the highways, going out, taking it outside of the walls of a church house and actually living like a Christian. We are to take it out into the world. We are. We're not to keep it hid. The gospel is hid to them that are lost. And in Matthew 13, you have a dishonest woman and she's introducing false doctrine. And as she introduces that false doctrine, she corrupts the meal. And if you and I are going to do something for the Lord, you know what we have to leave out? The leaven. We can't allow the leaven to come in. Now go to Revelation chapter number two, because the next point is uh, this woman is not. She's not the bride of Christ. And when you see this in Revelation chapter number two, <clears throat> these parables, we haven't done a deep dive into this, but these seven parables in Matthew 13 match the seven churches that are found in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter two, verse number 18, we have the, church, the fourth church matching this fourth parable. It's the church of Thyatira. And Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18. And under the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest the woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, 
to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Revelation 2 says there's a woman Jezebel and she calls herself a prophetess and she teaches. And you know what that matches in Matthew chapter number 13? <laughs> that matches that woman. False teaching coming in and spoiling the meal. That was the problem with the church at Thyatira. The seduction to commit fornication. What were what was uh, the nation considered when they went after other gods? God had strong language, whoredom, adultery, fornication. They were going after other gods. It was all false doctrine that they were going after. We need to be careful of that. What is this leaven in Matthew 13? It's a corrupting of doctrine. And we don't want doctrine corrupted. And you know what this woman will not do? She's a seducer. So it's going to happen inwardly, seductively. And then before you know it, She's not going to be the woman, and it doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man. We're using this woman and the woman from Matthew 13 and Revelation 2 to show it's this corrupting of doctrine. They're not going to come in and start a fight with you after church. They're not going to come in and pull me aside and start a big fight and fuss in the middle of the... It's not going to happen that way. That's an external thing. It's going to be an internal, covert, seducing way and people say well how come the southern baptist convention that's how come the southern baptist convention <laughs> well how come this denomination went so that matthew 13 is why they went so liberal how can a christian have women be ordained is uh, matthew 13 is why because corruption of doctrine came in and people got seduced and it's an awful, awful thing. Biblical doctrine does matter. It does. I want you to know doctrine. You want to know doctrine. This is why we put an emphasis on expositional Bible teaching. Let's go through the verses. Let's look at it. That helps us all have an authority to go to that will keep us it will keep us doctrinally sound the whole world lieth in wickedness but there's a meal to be served let's go back to Matthew 13 Matthew 13, verse number 33, we're in. Look at the end of the verse. And hid in three measures of meal. What do you need for a good meal? The seed has to be sown. The good ground has to receive the seed. And then you get wheat that will come up. And what is happening is 
what is happening is churches are embracing kingdom principles of Christ. But they are denying the doctrines of Jesus Christ. They love kingdom principles. But their mission in, in life is to save the trees. They love knowing that there's a baby in a manger. They just don't want that baby to be the savior for them as a sinner. They understand Christ died on the cross. But they still need a sac another sacrifice each Sunday that occurs on an altar called a mass. Doctrine matters. They're okay with terms like the new birth, but they just will not accept salvation by grace without any works at all. There has to be some type of works that comes, comes in. They will embrace all types of social issues. And you can pull up any of the conservative news outlets. And every single one of them will take the same stance on social issues that we would. Except the dividing line is this. They will not name and claim the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only exclusive savior. And there is no other way, no other religion, no other doctrine, no other belief that will get you to heaven no matter how many social issues you do. That's the dividing line. Jesus Christ. And that's what all the conservative news outlets leave out. So when you think you're voting for a conservative candidate, you are. Except conservative in their mind means Christian. And Christian in their mind means humanitarian efforts and social issues. We're not trying to be conservative. We are trying to be biblical. You're voting for a conservative candidate, whatever that means. We want to be biblical. So when you meet that conservative candidate, if you ever have a chance to do that, make sure you don't lose the opportunity to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So that you don't end up being one of the ones that are lodging in the branches thereof of the mustard seed parable. And we can leaven out our whole church if all we do is humanitarian efforts. I want to help people, do you? But you can feed them for a day. And that next day they starve because they got nothing to eat. They die and go to hell because they have never fed upon the bread of life. Don't give somebody a piece of bread without telling them about the bread of life. Don't do it. Please don't do it. I'm not telling, I'm not saying you give them the gospel and they say, well, you're hungry. Go get your own food. <laughs> At least if you die, you go to heaven. <laughs> you don't want. You, you understand what I'm saying? We can't leave out the most important thing. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the, light of the glory, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Now the devil's working real hard for us to have our meal spoiled. Let's not let him have it spoiled. 
let's make a couple more stops and then we'll uh we'll close it out go to first kings back to the book of first kings chapter 17 first kings 17 Good bit of scripture here. We'll read through this. First uh, Kings 17, verse number eight. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain me. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray, thee a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, and make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail. Until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house and did eat many things. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail. According to the word of the Lord. Which he spake by Elijah. Where did the meal for bread come from? God. Good soil, a good seed in good soil brought up good wheat for bread. And you know who gave it? God did. And if it's good, it's not a figure of corruption. God will bring forth the meal that you and I need. We no longer have to starve in sin. God will bring forth the meal. Last verse. And then we'll close out. Genesis. Eighteen. Genesis eighteen. Verse number six. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the earth. Three measures of fine meal. This is the other area that you find that in, in the Bible from Matthew 13, 33 to Genesis 18, verse number six. Are there three that bear record in heaven? Do we have a triune God? We sure do. Three measures of fine meal. Look at verse number seven. Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good. I wonder what that's prefiguring. Could it be a lamb that was slain <laughs> and gave it unto a young man? And he hasted to dress it. Was Jesus Christ dressed and slaughtered and hung on that cross for you and I for our sins? He sure was. Christ is. Well, let's go to John 12. I told you that was the last verse, but this will be the last verse. John chapter 12. And we'll close out. John chapter 12, look at verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall 
into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Did, is Christ the corn of wheat? He sure is. Did he go to the did he did he go into did he go into the ground and die already and rise again? He sure did. Christ is the corn of wheat. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We have a Savior that paid it all. He died, and because of his death and resurrection, much fruit has grown.